Yeah, and the GOP and the Tea Party particularly has set a stage for a progressive movement if if the same infrastructure is utilized. I mean, we've delegated a lot of power to the states over the past couple decades, and particularly the past decade. And so taking over statewide in, in enough states can move the needle very, very far, very, very fast because you don't have as much gridlock as you do at the federal level, which is that a really high bar to meet to get that much gridlock. But the fact is, like, if we can get a lot of stuff done on the state level, and there are certain things that need to happen globally, like climate change needs to happen globally. But if you can start state by state, even if Bernie doesn't get in, if you get in state by state and start making that shift, it can be a nationwide shift. It's just like this. the On the renewable energy front, Right. What we're trying to do right now is increase the renewable portfolio standard. And that tells Delmarva how much renewable energy they have to purchase every year and how much of it has to be solar versus other renewables. Um, and Delaware defines renewables in a shitty way. And we can talk about that later. But the, my point is we could wait to do that and we could wait to pass that policy or on a micro level. Right. So we're talking national to state. So macro to micro now on a state level to a personal level, macro to micro, you can go online right now. Go to clearview.com or whatever their website is or uh, NextEra or any of the other uh, renewable suppliers and put in your information and tell Delmarva right now to buy the percentage of energy that you consume from a renewable resource. If 50% of Delaware's population went and told Delmarva, I want you to buy my, my electricity from renewable resources we would surpass the renewable portfolio standard for almost every state in the country. And you can do that right now. No law, no bill, nothing. You can do that right now. This is going right into fucking show notes. Yep. This is great. I, I did not know that. I, I'm going to do this too. First observation, and I need to record this so I don't forget. So last night, two nights ago, I'm laying in bed here at the bunker, and you know, I start to hear fireworks go off. It's about 10.30. Pow, 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 pow! Every 15 seconds or so, and then maybe every minute. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's the 4th of July weekend. Some kids are firing them off over in Brandywine Park or Rockford Park, whatever. <clears throat> Didn't think anything of it. Kept going on. That's fine. Fall asleep. Didn't think anything of it. Then, then uh, some random uh, comrade uh, on the internet keyed me into uh, Monday night. Same night. Wilmington Police press release. Whatever you call it here. <laughs> Wilmington Police arrested juvenile who ignited firework, injuring two officers. Quote. Wilmington police have arrested a 15-year-old who ignited a firework that resulted in injury to two police officers and damage to a patrol vehicle. Now, <clears throat> I'm just going to ask people if they follow the news. If the injury was significant in any degree, you think you would have heard about it? I think you probably would have, but we'll, we'll continue. Quote. On July 5th at approximately 8 p.m., two police officers on the, were on the 900 block of Pine Street conducting a directed patrol. Whatever the fuck that is. One of the officers, who was seated in a marked patrol vehicle, observed a 15-year-old holding an ignited, and igniting a firework. Okay. The officer exited the vehicle to approach the juvenile, at which time the firework exploded less than two feet away from the officer and the vehicle. The explosion caused minor injuries to both, the officer, uh, to both officers, and they were treated and released from the hospital. The explosion also resulted in a burn mark on their patrol vehicle. Police were able to quickly apprehend the suspect without incident, and he has been charged with the following offenses, assault in the second degree, two counts, criminal mischief, sale, or possession of, a of fireworks. The 15-year-old, who was also had two outstanding warrants, was arraigned in Newcastle County Family Court and committed to Newcastle County Detention Center on $20,200 secure bail. Now, it was just interesting to get that note after having that experience the same night here uh, in the shadow of Rockford Tower. Uh, amongst the the elites, 
because I thought to myself after reading that, you know, the two, whoever in my mind picture the, you know, two guys from Sally's or friends going out to Rockford Park to shoot some fireworks off. <clears throat> you know, nobody, nobody says shit to them. You know, I don't see any arrests. Nobody ch tried to do a jump out and like run after him. And then a firework goes off. And now he's in, he's in a detention center for 20 grand. There's, there's not one teenager in this neighborhood that would, that would be uh, harassed like that. Not one. And also, none of the teenagers in this neighborhood would have two warrants, not because they're good kids, but because when they get caught drinking, when they get caught with pot, when they get caught having a fight or having a skirmish at a, at a football game or a basketball game or whatever it is, that doesn't, that there's no warrants out. They just, it's just taken care of. And see, stuff like this flies under the radar because nobody looks at this kind of like just sort of everyday police activity. And it just also struck me because uh, they finally arrested Jeffrey Epstein, who after years and years and years of what looks like running a, you know, an underage prostitution ring, um, is finally... <clears throat> I guess gonna gonna meet some justice, but how how is it that he's he skirted justice this long? Do you think uh, it's probably the same reason why the kids in this neighborhood can shoot fireworks off over my house uh, at the same night where a fifteen year old gets bum rushed by the cops and you know some ash burning ash hits his fucking arm. Now the kids uh, he's, the kids probably still in jail for that. So. Let's start putting two and two together, people. It's, it's, it's quite important. So I'm sorry to bring everybody down, but I, I just need to, you know, kind of uh, in, in interject this with some, um, some context. I feel like people um, kind of miss some context. And I hope that the guests tonight will be able to give us some nitty-gritty details, which I always sort of skim over. I was, I was, I was told uh, specifically that you had all the details and you can deep dive into everything. So we're ready to do it. So uh, across from me is uh, Dustin Thompson from uh, Delaware United uh, Steering Committee, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. And now are you like a registered lobbyist yes. and somebody who goes down and lobbies? Okay. Because, uh, you know, I everybody's part of the real evil touchy. empire. Well, that's, that's okay because you're, you're applying your, 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 uh, your, all of your energy for good. Yeah. So I'm I'm fine with it. Some that. people would say that doesn't make a difference, but um, it's very black and white for some people. The the idea of lobbying, because I think some people don't understand really what it is. There's the idea that like all lobbyists are going and buying gifts and and trying to kind of just advocating. Yeah, I mean in Delaware, there's very little difference between an advocate and a lobbyist. Anybody, <clears throat> anybody can advocate down in Dover. We have a pretty accessible General Assembly. Yeah. And the difference really is a lobbyist, you're required to tell the public what you're working on. So, and if you spend any money in, in doing so. And that's, that's basically a difference, transparency. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm someone, and it's interesting because today, uh, so this will probably go out in a couple days' time, but uh, today uh, Sarah McBride announced that she's going to run uh, for SD1, which is the district here in the, in the, the wherever we are, wherever we might be. Um, so I re-listened to her episode today, episode 15. I let it, uh, feel free to go back and uh, give it a listen. And her, her, one of her big points to me was like her philosophy, and she knows why people wouldn't agree with it, but you have to go and advocate and be at the table. Somebody's got to be there to to argue that side in front of the people who are going to make the decision like i don't um some people who are sort of like more like i am which is you know i look i make no excuses about it i'm looking to radicalize liberals i'm looking to sort of like show them that there's a different way to do politics and to think um but i also understand that that's not everybody's role that's like what i'm doing like, that's not a journalist role or a lobbyist role or whatever. And that was the point that Sarah was making. You know, somebody, she she had no nothing bad to say about my role and just thought, you know, there's other roles to fill so that we apply pressure in all the 
all the points. So I'm someone who does not have any kind of, um, you know, I don't have any any kind of negative connotation with lobbyists. I mean, if somebody said corporate lobbyist or somebody named a firm or named an issue, then I would know that they're full of shit. But if somebody's a lobbyist for like Medicare for all, they're obviously not on the dark side, are they? I would say not. Yeah, I mean, you know, people don't like to hear it, but if you look at it and just just in the simplest definition based and, and logical reasoning, um, politics is a game and everybody's got a role in the game. And, uh, you know, people don't like to think of it as a game because it's it's serious stuff. But if you look at what, a, by definition, what a game is, being involved in politics fits that definition. There are rules, there are procedures, there are roles. It is what it is. Um, you you can play the game and, and pick up a role, whatever that may role may be, advocate, uh, podcast person, uh, you know, journalist, uh, lobbyist, politician, whatever role you want to play in the game, uh, you're playing. And so, you know, people have different connotations of the word game, but I'm talking just on a sheer definition of the word game. There no, are... I agree with that. I, I think the way I would put it is the way I've, I've put it before is not, you know, not that there's no stakes. It's actually high stakes. You know, Kowalko was some, of the, some of the highest. That's yep. right. Um, so it's not that there's no stakes, but but there you have to look at it like we're the less you take personally, and the more you just sort of do what you are best at, or or what where you have energy, or and, and do that. That's that's what you really be, need to be doing, you know. And so it's just all it means is sort of taking <coughs> the personal bit out of it, and saying, look, these are this is what I'm going to do. To sort of uh, affect the change I want to affect. So yeah, I I, I dig it. <clears throat> I think the big problem is a lot of people. I know I do. I hear a game and I think of like geeky game theory or technocratic bullshit. Um, but the way you're saying it is not. You're talking about a whole different thing. Yeah, different connotations for different so, people. So so what got you into? Are you local? What got you into uh, to Delaware United to begin with? I've had a couple people in here from Delaware United and yeah. they have sort of similar stories some are local some are but like like I've Josh and uh, and Becca have both been in and Eric too. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a, a full almost a full complement of of old of OGs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh so I mean Delaware United started before Delaware United formed. A lot of us were working together on the Bernie Sanders campaign. And uh so after it kind of became apparent after the convention that, that you know that wasn't going to happen, um, it was where do we put this energy then? And before Bernie kind of went and said go local when he launched our revolution, um, we had already started that push. So we got everybody that was involved in that Bernie um, flank in Delaware, what kind of transitioned into. Delaware United and putting that same kind of boots on the ground energy we did for Bernie into local races. And, uh, you know, a good number of us were, were new. We relied on a lot of feedback from people that were involved in the past um, that kind of helped in the Bernie world as well. And um, it really just kind of took off. Each of us kind of picked up different things that we were passionate about and and it worked really well. Um, and it still does work really well. Uh, obviously, I'm a lot more passionate about um, policy. Uh, I read bills for fun, which apparently is not a normal thing to do. I've been told. Um, but well, I mean, in this, I mean, Carl it sounds, it sounds like something Carl might do. Yeah. I mean, I, it depends, I guess, if, how he would define fun. But you yeah, would definitely I mean, do it. I got hot and bothered over the manufactured housing bill earlier this year, so. Oh, that's right. There was a whole, there was a kerfuffle. Yeah, there was a whole thing about that. Luckily, it's there's a principle. Mostly there's a, there's fine a, now. Yeah. It's better. There's a principle. There's a and there's a there's one of one. It's mostly fine now. And two, that there's a funny story I can't tell right now. But one of the principles of this entire story, I hope, will be uh, coming in to speak with uh, with us about it because we're big fans of this person. Uh, anyhow, yeah. So he does read. He does read. Uh, read bills and get and get angry. I know. The other person I want to speak to uh, soon is Carl Baker, who um, really, I think, 
laid a lot of people out reading the Bond bill that passed but nobody read. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? But just as a specific, sort of like a specific thing, reading bills. And I mean, did you have thoughts on that beforehand? I mean, even, you know, even some of our very good friends kind of got caught up in like, yeah, at the 24th hour, you, you voted for this too. Um, what, do you have any thoughts at all? Uh, so I wasn't really involved a lot in the bond bill because we were working on a lot of other uh, criminal justice legislation at the final minute, a lot of cannabis legislation at the final minute. And uh, so that wasn't really on high up on my radar. Yeah, gotcha. So what? So let, let's talk about the, the things that were on your radar, then the, uh, the weed and the criminal justice. Just give us a rundown of what you tried to do on those two topics and, and where it stands today. And I think... I think it's going to lead into sort of, sort of a broader discussion of just GA politics in Delaware in general. But give us give us the weed and the and the criminal justice and sort of what you were working on and how it went. Well, we were working on um, for a while the medical cannabis legislation that was coming out, and some of the um, a lot of the criminal justice bills. There were so many drafts of those bills and you're talking about bills that are 20 30 pages long and after you read the fifth fifth read it the fifth time um it starts to become hard to pick out which version you're talking about when you start talking with legislators and so it was really a head spinning move and then some of those bills didn't even end up getting voted on this year what's the chances the legislators would have known what you were talking about anyway uh so what what do you get listen we're not gonna call names out but like of the you know the the 40 legislators that you you talk to on a regular basis or however many there are that you regularly engage with what percentage of them do you think reads this and has any idea what you're talking about yeah look so i mean every legislator has their maybe two or three issues and it's very rare to have a legislator that has more than that and more often than not it's one or two issues and so that's really what i think Citizens who are passionate about those issues really have to step up and either make the choice to be advocates or just become full-blown lobbyists for different organizations. Because one of your biggest tasks as a lobbyist is you're actually an educator. You're educating legislators on the merits of legislation that you're passionate about. And you're making the argument that nobody else is going to make unless you're down there doing it. And so when I talk to most legislators, unless it's somebody... Um, like Representative Lynn or Representative Cook or, or somebody that's been involved in criminal justice stuff or even in the Senate side, uh, you know, on the Republican side, we might not agree on everything, but Senator Del Calo uh, will have deep conversations about criminal justice legislation. And from that, you know, from his perspective, you can get kind of some of the FOP and, and DOC perspective and how they're viewing this kind of stuff. And you might not always come to an agreement at the end of things, but it's good to know where everybody's head's at. But then you talk to other people who who are more involved in education, and they're not going to have a really a hard grasp on anything criminal justice. They're just kind of like, you know, give me the facts, give me the details. They'll give you an anecdote of something they've heard. You come back with an anecdote for something that you've heard, and you can go into a tailspin with those that crap. But, um, you know, the nitty-gritty of it yeah it's not yeah, it's, it's not their issue no i think that's a that's an interesting point because even as a somebody who like i said follows it sort of more cursory yeah i mean people have their own sort of uh, lane and outside of that maybe they're not sure about what's going on i mean i i i sort of follow everything maybe at, at a more shallow level so I'm like, well, yeah, you do this and you do that. But, yeah, when you're really focused on one one or two particular things, I suppose they just need to be sort of talked through. The, yeah, a lot the of the, stuff. on yeah. the criminal justice side, I mean, the cannabis side, it's just, you know, you either agree with legalization at this point or you don't, right? And I we can lobby I want, Let's put a death. pin in that because <laughs> I, I agree with that, and I think, there's a larger, I think there's a larger lesson to be learned from that. But, yeah, go ahead. On the criminal justice side, though, it's it, the devil's in the details. Um, just as an example, right, so the fines and fees bill that we were working really, really hard on um, with uh, Delaware Center for Justice, the, you know, nobody is in disagreement, really, that trying to get blood from a stone doesn't work. And that's essentially when you're when you're putting fines on top of fines on top of fees on top of fees for somebody that's 
you know, destitute or low income, you're never going to get that money, right? All you're doing is perpetuating the cycle of criminalizing poverty yeah. and locking people up. This was there's a good a good example of this. The most blatant known example is the Ferguson thing, where the feds had to step in. But it's a really ugly, it's a it's a really ugly thing that's done. Yeah, yeah. And so, but then you start talking about like, all right, well, how do we handle that situation, right? And from a pretty progressive standpoint, we say don't fine and fee them. Um, figure out another way to, uh, to to solve that situation. Either do community service programs or some work for nonprofits or something like that. If if they're not already employed, can you give me an example of like the biggest <clears throat> the, the the fees that we're talking about? So uh, what when you say okay, these types of fees, uh, rolling them into whatever somebody owes. Are not effective in X. Now, first we got to solve for X. I don't know what X is supposed to be, but let's figure that out. And then, what are the actual actions that are happening to be level, leveling, leveling these fines and fees? Yeah. So there's already a lot of the courts already do what we are wanting done. There's only a couple of courts that don't already do this. So, but let's just take an example without taking that into consideration. Let's say you get a civil citation for pot, right? And you can't pay it and you miss your court date, right? Because you're homeless or, or you're not getting your mail at your address or, or whatever. Now there's an automatic warrant out for your arrest. You got fines for not miss, coming to your court date. And then when you go to court, you're tacked on with about another $200 in fees. So now your fees are actually above what you would have paid for your civil citation. And you didn't even have that. So I guess, so let's go back and solve for X then. Is the idea, if you sat down with somebody who's going to give you the, sort of the view of the, the cops. I mean, they're the, let's be honest, they're the, they're the opponent in this situation. Is it just a revenue thing? Or are they like, no, these people need to be punished. We caught that homeless guy smoking a joint and he missed his court date and he needs to be uh, fined $500. Like, I, what is, how much of one are they, because they're both, to be, they're both absolutely absurd. Whichever, whether it's trying to get revenue from, from this situation or whether it's trying to p be punitive, they're both abjectly absurd. But I'm wondering which one you get as Most. an argument. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of a mix. So most of the fees actually are just on their face revenue generators. So you pay an amb like when you get a red light ticket, right? You're not just paying the red light ticket. You're also paying an ambulance fee. You're paying a paramedic, uh, ambulance paramedic. You're paying uh, police, fire, and all of that then goes to those departments. So rather than the state funding those departments or the county funding those departments, the money is generated by people who are basically stressing the system, which are the people that are, quote, breaking the law. And so um, it's not a, a sustainable situation because you're basically relying on the fact that people will, quote, break the law in order to fund basic services that the state needs to provide. Yeah, I draw the same sort of parallel to the argument I always get from Carney or Carney-esque folks about the LLCs and the fees to the LLCs. And it's like, well, that's how we fund our schools. So we can't, well, you shouldn't be doing it like that. Like we shouldn't be relying upon this weird tax haven sort of system that's used to launder money and do crime and, and, and just weird sort of weird shell games to generate revenue for the state. Like you can't generate revenue for somebody like, you know, sort of just rolling on the, on the, on the most, um, on, on the folks who can't afford it, that they get the least amount of any kind of benefit. Well, I mean, what it's just, up, it's not, it's, 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 I think you said it's unsustainable, right? You can't yeah. continue. And can't it continue. actually makes things worse. So here's the, here's how it actually plays out. They get this fine, they miss their court date, they come in, they get levied with fees, they can't pay them. So where do they go? In Delaware, they go to jail. And so what happens is they get a, a warrant out for their arrest. And they get picked up and instead of having to even see if they could pay or if they were just willfully like you i'm not paying that um they just go to jail until they can get in front of a judge which should be up to two weeks so now they've lost their job maybe their car is impounded 
maybe their kids in under a state control now because nobody was there to pick them up from a bus. You lose so much, and now you've struck them down into the cycle of poverty, which they may never come back out of. And who do you think pays for that? The and then state. once you say that, once we're in a room or in an office and you have 15 minutes with Joe Blow or 20 minutes with Sue Smith or whatever, when you say that and they're like, I mean, we just need we need the revenue. Is that what they just say? They just say that? They just, uh, I actually, mean, do they ever – I mean, did, are there, is anybody into a, a really reasoned uh, sort of response to that that you can sort of uh, at least understand? Because as I said, both – all of the reasons for this are, 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 are patently – just ridiculous. Yeah. So believe it or not, um, once we kind of broke it down like that and said, look, you're never going to get your money, period, ever from these people. They don't have it. And so what you're doing is just making it worse. You're creating um, a, a social situation that's worse. Yeah. And so when we actually broke that down, they said, but what about the people that can afford to pay? And I said, OK, our primary concern is the people that cannot afford to pay. And so if your primary concern is the people that are willfully not paying, that have have the means to pay, okay, well, then there's an agreement here, at least temporarily, that we can come to and say, okay, but the people that literally can't pay that you're locking up for no reason and costing the state tens of thousands of dollars just to process them in and out within two weeks, um, how about we don't do that? And so we're actually at the drawing board right now to come back next year with a new bill that is kind of like a means tested sort of thing. So anybody that's on state programming like Medicaid, unemployment, or um, you know has uh, dependence on CHIP or anything that, that signals to the state that they don't have the means to, to help um, keep themselves uh, from going to jail just because they can't afford to pay, um, that their fees are just waived. Uh, this is gonna break into, I always do a, uh... Carl, we need to come up with some sort of like alert, like whoop, whoop, whoop. I want to do, do a commentary. So this is not your, this is my opinion. I could do some like uh, alarm bells or something. Yeah, we got to come to up with something. make it very obviously clear. Yeah, this is commentary. It's commentary. Do not be alarmed. This is a commentary. Um, anytime you hear the word means testing, Think of who you're hearing it from. So if you're hearing it from a, 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 a man such as Dustin, who we know is a comrade of ours and an, an, an ally of ours, we know that what he's trying to do is provide some out for some Neanderthal who just has to punish, you know, think about what he just said. He said, you know, I have this conversation. Thing. Well, what about people who can pay? They're getting away with it. We need that revenue. That person is, is not a nice person. They don't understand how uh, we, we should be running a society, and they're ridiculous. And so we offer them uh, this idea, quote-unquote, means testing, because some people deserve, well, some people, at you know, <clears throat> are, are at the, we know that we've forgotten about some people, and we have to give them just the, the, the bare scraps and what we don't do is say, actually, every human being is deserved to be treated with dignity and respect, and there should be some sort of feel for justice, not like trying to make a nickel off of people who get caught smoking pot or running a red light or spitting on the sidewalk or not mowing their lawn or whatever these fines are for, jaywalking, uh, stop sign, whatever. We have to start thinking about that not as in a revenue opportunity because it's not really um so <clears throat> i'm not gonna I'm not gonna have a meltdown about it and i completely understand the rationale but when i hear the words means testing I, my, my chest gets a little tight that's all i have to say now we now uh, we will go back to our regularly scheduled program so this is what the other thing that's interesting is uh, the we'll bring it up next session. That's a that's a that's a common refrain. That's another thing I want to put a pin in and talk about. But so that's so at least you have some way to go. And again, I always think about these things strategically. Um, you have to come up with some way, you know, j joking aside or commentary aside. 
of alleviating the most suffering and the most pain for people. Yeah, hundreds of people. Yeah, th- probably thousands. Sitting in jail. Yeah, there's. I mean, just sitting in. I mean, th- think about that. There's hundreds sitting locked up only because they're poor. Yep. And so think about the hundreds more who are at risk of it right now. That's how they get there. So it's like literally thousands of people. So again. I go into these things because I want people to sort of think about the meaning behind what they're talking about. But the fact of the matter is that from a strategic standpoint, these are things we have to do. We have to alleviate that suffering because it's not it's, – it's totally unacceptable. And however we need to do that. Yeah, however we need to do it, we need to do it. I mean, we're shipping out – listen, I mean, so I'm – I'm not a big fan of some of our elected officials, and <laughs> we're not, we're not either. You're you know um, what? You're in a safe place. Yeah, we're, so we're all friends here. We have we have a situation right now where we're shipping people out of state. We're paying other states to take our prisoners, and if that's not bad enough, we're doing it in the last six months of their sentences, which is when we need to be reintegrating them and getting them ready to come back into society because they will be coming back into society, and we're paying thousands of dollars per person to do this and it's because the prisons are so full that they can't handle it and they can't pay anybody to come work there to handle it and at the same time we're locking hundreds of people up thousands over the course of a year just because we don't even know if they can afford to pay their fine or not because of a glitch in the system we're locking people up and then shipping people out when we need to be getting them ready to come back into society, which when, where do you think they go when they come back into society with no means to participate in that society? They end up going back to jail. So we're literally right now doing the exact opposite of what we, it's one of the worst policy decisions I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I just read the the Wilmington police report. Now we have the 15 year old kids in detention. He's probably not out yet. Where's that, where, where's that family? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they could come up. I don't, I don't know how they sometimes bail people out. Maybe they have collateral, let's hope. But like, what's the point? So the kid has, you know, they don't say what the warrants are. So it's not like out for something, no felonies or anything. And and so the the fireworks went off in his hand, or when they got he got rushed by the cops, and so now he's sitting in jail. Like what? What's the point of that? There's no point to it. It doesn't do anything other than like people think, okay, well this is what we do, and they just do it mindlessly. Oh, it does plenty. It he now has a record, and his first introduction into the criminal legal system yeah. is because of a firecracker, and that's going to be on his record. And, but they're not going to see the firecracker, right? They're going to see assault. Yeah, all oh, he injured cops. Right. Yeah, yeah, for oh, sure. I mean, Blue Lives Matter, we know that. Jesus Christ, have a parade about it. Yeah, I mean, all, on a grander scale, sure. I mean, we've talked about this in here, whether it be the, 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 the prison situation specifically, which we've talked about a lot, or just the way that police are used inside of a broader sort of capitalist context just to keep the the people in line that need to be kept to where they're supposed to be kept, you know, or need to be treated the way they're supposed to be treated. You know, and then you have, like you said, you have a record, you can't do anything. Right. Your life. Lose your job, you can't pay your fees. You, dude, you can't get a, you can't get a license to, to be a barber. You can't fucking do. Yeah. I mean, it keeps, it keeps a certain class of, of folks disenfranchised with a boot on their neck. Yeah. There's no question about that in a larger but my my problem is that the folks that you're lobbying are not open to my sort of, uh, you know, socialist agenda. So when I try to explain to somebody, yeah, we you know, we use the police to enforce like property rights so that the rich people just stay rich. Their eyes glaze over. They don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I mean, you're like, you know, it's true. And they're like. So you know, if if we can if we can alleviate some of the suffering, it's it's super. Yeah, there's a lot to alleviate. Yeah, and again, like I said, this is just one of the problems. I mean, one of the biggest headwinds that we face in Delaware is our complete lack of transparency, and it's and it's because I mean our IS our information systems are so outdated in so many different branches of the government, they can't be transparent even if they wanted to. You gotta. You, I can't, you have sort of. A, you have a feeling about this. Carl's face just lit up when you were talking about this IT shit. So, I, I can imagine, and just coming from the corporate sort of environment, like 
people assume we have like the top of the line stuff and, no, and we have and we servers don't. that fill rooms <laughs> and we don't and even like the software on top of it's like you know there's 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 a lot of corporate jobs that are being done today that are being done on like green screen like an old shit you'd see it like a bank teller in a 90s film but i can imagine but because i know that my expectation for like state and like government stuff to be like worse than that so when you snickered i was like oh it is worse <laughs> yeah because i don't know i can't say too much but there is a, mach- a machine in the carvel state building uh that is from the 1980s it's a printer there is only one person left in the state who can fix it and he is 80 years old and they do not know what they're going to do if he dies or retires <laughs> The original Xerox repairman. He's got the only tools. It's in a case like in a museum or something. It's incredible. Oh, my God. Well, I'm, that does not... Uh, that does not my phone is more me. powerful than some of the IS that we have in oh, the state. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> Probably no most of it. Yeah. yeah. I spent 15 minutes trying to log into a computer today. <laughs> so let, let's get quickly to... Uh, and then we'll try to get off on another sort of tangent, but... What is the status, and I'm going to do this uh, purposely, what is the status of the uh, marijuana laws in the state? <laughs> so there, so there's actually two factions in the pro-pot world, and there's kind of this libertarian faction that is very much, I grow my own stuff, uh, I should be able to do what I want when I want and basically just make it legal and no corporate sales or anything like that. Just make it legal and uh, allow basically anybody to sell with, you know, get a license, a very cheap license and you can sell. And then there are kind of the not fully libertarian, definitely still progressive um, that want a lot of those things, but are also looking at how many. So. How many people getting arrested for pot actually increased after decrim? And so they look at that and they see the fact that who is being arrested, who's being affected, and the fact that we need to legalize as fast as possible. And so they look at HB 110 and they're like, yeah, it's not perfect, doesn't have home grow. And yes, the license fees are are pretty high um, compared to some other areas. But we're going to take this and run and try to amend it on the fly and get it passed. And so there's these two kind of it's a very interesting dynamic to see these two kind of different factions battle over this bill that you would on for somebody that's not involved in that you would assume that everybody's just like yeah legalization. Yeah, I mean I I certainly I understand the dynamic of um what do you, you know making these alliances in some cases with you know libertarians. Like libertarians generally you know I don't I don't agree with them to say that. But in this case, you could see where you would make a political alliance with somebody. Now, it is interesting that, <clears throat> you know, one side would, would have sort of, they're, they're interested in it for a different reason, so they're looking at different aspects of it. But isn't the bottom line that Carney's just like a baby? Like, he's just taking his ball and going home. He's like, this is never happening. I'm never doing this. So it really doesn't matter whether you appease the libertarians with low licensing fees and homegrown, or you appease the progressives with sort of criminal justice stuff. He's not signing any of it. Yeah, he's not signaled at all that he is down. Yeah, uh, he hasn't said I mean, straight up, I will veto it. Um, but he hasn't said that he'd sign it either. So, yeah, and again, I don't think, I mean, I've talked. But I've, that's assuming it even gets through the House and the Senate. I mean, it, it failed in the House last year. And, I, and you know, you talk to some of the city reps and senators and you talk to the constituents. Some you wouldn't you'd be amazed at how many people in the city of Wilmington are not in favor of legalization. And, I was amazed. Yeah. So can you give me some? You know, not people specifically, but just some examples of some constituencies that I mean I can guess, but who who, who generally the older generation um, and religious groups are. We, we are have very a boomer problem. I've always said we have a boomer problem. Yeah, they're they are not pro-legalization i mean you have like my parents generation um you know right after the boomers and and i guess gen x i guess that that is um but they're 100 percent. yeah just legalize it this is ridiculous but like there's 
a five-year gap where you mix, and then above that five-year gap, it's no. And so a, a decent chunk of constituents in the city are older religious individuals who are just no. Medical is as far as they want to go. And even then, watch yourself. I mean, we had a lot of great medical cannabis bills. I will say that this year, and we'll have a, even a couple more next year. Um, it's an interesting... Th- it, what's really interesting about some of this legislation, and I'll tell you an example, we were out um, with Moms Demand Action protesting for some of the gun bills. Um, and we could probably have a whole hour conversation on that. You know, I have it written down, but I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. So we were out there. So we were out there. And of course, the, um, the pro gun um, individuals, gun rights individuals, were out there. And they were very loud and very large. And, you know, we can argue about if they were in-state or out-state. They were a lot of them are out-of-state. Um, but the the fact is that they had the numbers. However they got there, I don't care. They had the numbers and they were very loud. So, But then we go right from outside. To in, I go into committee hearings with a few other DU people for, for cannabis legislation, uh, medical cannabis. And now we all, the same, you know, pro-gun rights groups are in this hearing with us and now we're on the same side lobbying for or advocating for medical cannabis legislation so it was just such a a interesting shift in dynamic that one minute they're in our face screaming at us and telling us we're less than and then the next minute we're literally equals and and on the same side yeah it was very it's a very interesting number one on the gun issue it's just a it's a fetish they have a, a it's a it's a mix of like just sort of like the libertarian Rand Paul constitution fetish just in general and it's a gun fetish it's like it there's just you know my my opinion about this I've talked about it before is pretty complicated on the gun thing just because you know obviously I supported more uh, stricter gun laws you know I think a lot of those weapons should be banned I think you should have a license all that shit but I, I also don't think that what was proposed was really it wasn't really going to change the things it was going to change it wasn't going to you know if there's going to be god forbid a mass shooting somewhere around here it's just going to it's just going to be like the fact is that we can't ban all guns um i would like to see more control but i'm willing to i'm kind of willing to you know hear them out if they're going to support us on the on the weed thing but then again the weed thing doesn't go anywhere they win on the guns we don't win on the weed so something's some, there's something missing in between those two. Things. Yeah, I mean, we got right to try. Um, we got halfway to a CBD rich card, um, which could it, that's a game changer for a lot of people. I think um, the you know the CBD market we can debate about, but it's unregulated and it's untested, and people are getting sick, and some are ending up in the hospital. The worst part about CBD is everybody I hear takes nothing happens. Right. Well, weed. some people are happening. taking stuff that they buy at a freaking gas station. Well, that, see, this was that. Yeah, if you're buying stuff at a gas station, come on, you can't. And uh, or even uh, you know Walgreens. You know, if you're buying it, it's not cannabis. It's hemp. And there are other compounds in cannabis that work with the CBD that make it work. And you need those other cannabinoids. And so anyway, the uh, but an interesting one that that is coming up is to make it so people who have a card can still own a gun. And so it's interesting to see actually that some of the people that are, you know, anti-assault weapons and they want this permit to purchase, which that honestly was the holy grail. Permit to purchase is the future of gun legislation because you have education requirements, you have licensure, you have a way to track whose weapons are getting stolen and where they're ending up. There's a lot to unpack in that bill and it contains basically everything that that gun control advocates want in one bill. And so that would reduce actual rampant gun violence. And so, but it's interesting to see some of those people that were for something like that are looking at this cannabis card firearm ownership bill and being like, all right, yeah, I mean, you can drink alcohol, you can have op- prescription for opioids, but somehow if you have a medical cannabis card now you are taking away what these people have the right to have so it's really interesting to see kind of that that shift in perspective of of 
some of the people that you wouldn't expect. No, I, I I'm I'm glad that these things are being worked on at the because the reason that you're doing them is just to move the ball. Somebody's got to do it. My greater and this I think this is what I wanted to really talk about. Carl and I have talked about this. We've recorded a little bit about this. The idea that technocratic, um, finally, you know, with 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 loopholes and and checks and means testing and uh, all of this stuff, that somehow if you have some sort of plan, that that is what everybody's looking for, just to be able to put the puzzle pieces together in such a way pull this and give up that and then you have the thing that passes now on one hand as you said a lot of these times you're limit you're alleviating suffering whether you're getting people out of cash bail whether you're getting people the medicine they need whether you're getting people uh, money they need what any kind of support they need so there are people who are affected that's very important but at a at a larger level i feel like people need to step up in politics just in general, whether they're elected officials or whatever they are, and and stake out an area where, a, a, you know, an, an ideal that things fit within. It's not just enough to be a wonk and a technocrat. You have to, you have to understand what, like, you're alleviating somebody's suffering, or it fits under a larger way to, um, to sort of redistribute wealth uh, and, and, and have some sort of economic justice. Uh, or, or civil rights justice, or whatever. And if people can't start putting those two things together, I think we get caught in this cycle where we're just trying to pull levers every nine months. And, and again, my question to you at the end was going to be, so what really was accomplished with all of this? What, what passed? What was a... I, I've asked a lot of different kinds of people this. I've asked... Uh, journalists, I've asked politicians, I've asked activists, all kinds of people. What were the General Assembly's uh, big achievements this session? This session? I mean, they really had a primary focus, it seems like, on criminal justice legislation. Now, I mean, we started a lot of these bills really far to the left. And so we ended up landing somewhere definitely center of left. Uh, yeah, center left, and just as an example, right? So now, and let me and just—I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you yeah. say landed, so we started sort of the drafts in a fairly progressive leftist nature. And then we, when you say finished up, you mean the final draft that was considered that was, was passed. That was passed. Okay. Yeah. So let me. Let, so because I want to write this, I want to write these these achievements down. Yeah. So just as an example, right, on this proximity bill for the city of Wilmington, which the city of Wilmington itself actually fought back on, um, you know, when we started, we said no proximity period ever at what, any what is, time. Can you give me a... a like yeah. A, so if you get busted with, uh, you know, possession amount of cannabis near a church, school, public park, anything, and that includes sidewalks near these places, um, that's an aggravating factor that's going to get you a harsher sentence right now or well before the they pass this bill and so um we when we started out we said no we just deleted that entire part of the of the code no proximity at all period ever and uh, you treat a crime based on the crime not on the location and uh, what ended up was if you were dealing in that proximity so if it's your possess if it's a possession amount then a crime is a crime. It doesn't matter where it's ta- where it takes place. Um, but if you had, you know, two pounds of pot in your backpack, then you're going to have a problem. Is that too much? <laughs> Wait a minute. You would know better than I. I should probably write this down. <laughs> two pounds <laughs> is too much. <laughs> so, I mean, we started really far left that, the you know, everybody got pretty pissed off about, um, including the city of Wilmington. And uh, where we ended up was significantly better than where we were, which is a lot of people in the city of Wilmington ended up in jail with aggravating factors on a crime that if it was done in Pike Creek or Hokesson, 
they would never have gotten and went yeah. went to jail. They would have gotten a citation at most and uh, walked on home. Again, let's put that in the broader framework. Like yeah, I said. So, 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 so I, 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 I understand. I agree with all of that. Yeah. My, my, my issue with it is sort of like, and I'm glad we could go back to this police report about the 15 year old again. Like, you know, if there's a smudge on the cop car, they get you for destroying property. Like, I'm glad that the the more aggravating things or the more fees that they can levy on people or the, the they can le- keep this kid in jail because he was truant or whatever before. Like, I'm glad that whatever things that they can pile on and pile on. I mean, that was the big thing about the criminal justice reform idea was that there was all these things you could pile on yep. to people and give multiple charges and all this. It didn't make any sense. No, and uh, it actually but, doesn't but, do anything to protect public safety. Of course, just it's it's, it's a rule. It's it's an arb. It's it's a there there are arbitrary things that can be charged for people who they need to throw the book at. Yeah. And believe me, the people they throw the book at. Well, we know the people they throw the yeah. book at. So it's. But I guess my issue is you do all that work to get you know uh, sort of this one sort of um, very esoteric location aggravating circumstance thing sort of changed to dealing not using i mean that was one of the, one i'm of not the trying to sh- you know I, do you what was that because you started you started in one place thinking this is going to really have an impact then you think well we need to get something passed so we do these things and we get it passed um but is that a what is what, how would you describe the achievement yeah so like, what, what the, the the material change yeah, so here's the issue. The, the It comes back to the IS. It comes back to the lack of data. So I'd love to tell you that I have the numbers, and I can show you that if we made this change, 500 less people would be in jail right now that don't need to be in jail. We can't do that. Our IS is so far out of date that we can't even look at how many people were hit with these aggravating factors because of this part of the code and ended up in jail. And then how often did they return to jail? So, I mean, in the grand picture, it's it's basically a best guess at this point on yeah, how many people are affected. I, I, I totally take the point. And it's not, you know, again, I don't, I hope you don't, it's, it's not a personal thing. And I, 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 yeah, I get frustrated to, with it I, as well. It, it's just, it's, it's, I try to fi- fi- fix it into this larger argument that I'm always trying to make is that we kind of know intuitively and because it's such a broader thing and, and you can kind of find out like if we just say marijuana is legal under an ounce, everybody who's in jail for just marijuana or selling marijuana or having marijuana and that's how they got in jail, they ha- they're immediately released. Yeah, We know that, that that's – but nobody will do that. So now we, we fashion over the course of five or ten years, however long we've had sort of some kind of medical law, and then we've decriminalized possession, whatever, all the different things that we've done, all these little tweaks that we've done. We don't have any idea whether that would work. The only sort of reason we did it is to say that we're, we made progress and passed something, but we can't – now medical marijuana, actually, you, there's probably some more uh, benefit you can point to uh, – statistically because there are people who do benefit from that directly but all of these tweaks are not they're a mechanism to gain a legislative victory that on the street is either very negligible or almost unmeasurable so or backfires or backfires in the terms of decrim right so (laughs) i i correct so I guess what I'm trying to do is sort of lay out from from a, a practical example. You do this all the time. This is what you, you know. You're you're an expert at this, and I'm trying to point out that as hard as you work, and as smart as you are, and your politics are actually coming from a place like I said that has a, a larger framework. Like I actually know why I'm I'm doing this to alleviate suffering or do justice or whatever. You still can't break through. And and really accomplish anything meaningful because it's because the things that people think are victories really aren't. Yeah. Well, they're they're very small. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. I mean, the uh, one of the bills that really would make probably the largest macro impact is that omnibus sentencing that didn't get passed um, HB four. 
And part of the, it's a two-part bill. You have huge sentencing reforms that moving forward would make a monumental impact on how many people end up in prison and making sure that the only people that do end up in prison, you know, if you're in that mindset that, quote, deserve to be in prison, I'm not really in that mindset, but if you are. Um, But the other thing it does is it has this group that's now in charge of figuring out what other states are doing in sentencing, like New Jersey, that are cutting their prison population in half, and what IS needs to be updated in order to make sure agencies are able to talk to each other. So that way, when we come back again and have to change these systems again, we actually have the data that we need to make substantive changes immediately. And without data, data is everything, particularly when you're trying to change something. If you don't have the data, you don't actually know what you're doing. You're guessing and throwing darts in the dark. And so if we can't objectively look at the numbers and who's being impacted by what policies, then we're just really, we're just guessing. And it's best guess and what has worked in other places. I mean, that goes from criminal justice to healthcare to green energy, everything. It, it needs to be data centric because otherwise you're just, you're just guessing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, again, I, I shit on a lot of the, like the, the, da- the data geeks and all that, but I think it's important because you need to be able to present, because the problem that I have is there are people who don't even care about, um, green energy or clean water or, uh, school it's amazing or, i gotta point that out people do not like because it's it seems it, I, <clears throat> if you have to argue to somebody you know and, and make the concession sometimes you make it would seem to me that basically not enough people even care about that. yeah so i had so we had a letter campaign i'll never forget this as long as i live i swear to god and now it's gonna be on tape so i know i'll never forget it and so Carl cuts it out. Yeah. Uh, so we had a letter campaign about this yard waste site right down on Polly on Polly Drummond, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah actually. I think I noticed. I think Four, I, I drove past this. I think I used to recycle I used to my Christmas trees. all the time. Yeah, actually. over 1400 people sent a letter to the bond committee asking them to keep that place open. Guess how many people sent a letter for clean water in Delaware? Um, is it a single digits? About 140. Uh, Yard waste for a very small population of people, 1,400 letters. And that's individuals, 1,400 individuals. So multiply that out by how many people are on the bond committee, right? It's a pillar of the community. Yeah. And then clean water. (laughs) Is that a direct quote? (laughs) That's that's what I put in my letter. (laughs) Clean We have one of the 1,400. Clean water. <laughs> that was uh, obviously not a... Unreal. should have been put in another pile. <laughs> it was... I just don't understand. I mean, you literally are getting to a point where filtration systems are a necessity or that you buy bottled water and basically help kill the planet. Well, the other problem or, is, again, we always get to people who are least... Like, uh, a couple of the towns just, I guess, last year, was it about a year ago? Two years ago, maybe? Had real big problems, both with the chicken farm, mountain, yeah. mountain air, whatever they are, and also uh, another place that it was a little town. I wish I could remember the name of it. Sorry, sorry, uh, little town. Yeah, sorry, little Sussex town. Um, but yeah, they had, but and they had no water. The the, the, the company, the you know chemical company or fracking company, whatever the fuck it was, had to start giving them bottled water. Yeah. But there was only like they said the population of the town was two hundred and seventy or something. So, I mean, if well, you think t- we would have gotten 270 letters sent yeah. then, right? I, well, that's that's <laughs> true. We're trying we're, that we're working on. That we're working on. But yeah, I mean, that and and I guess this is the this is the the, the nut like how do you we can sit and and hash out, you know, every detail about, you know, we raised the the smoking age from 18 to 21 or we you know, we we, we have a task force to look into the spending and the somewhere or we do the but until we decide that clean water is important i don't even know if we should be doing that shit it's like if somebody if we're not we're it seems to me that politically both in the city uh and the state well and um and the nation we need remedial we're all we're on the remedial set do you know what i mean and that that's starting to hit me that 1400 versus 140 yeah you know 10 times we're trying to prevent well, you got, we have to take Carl's out now. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to prevent the Potomac Aquifer from being poisoned right now. 
we have a group of people that have come together clean water advocates the sierra club um du is going to work on it uh a wide swath of groups are, are indivisible groups all trying to prevent this land mount minkwadale from growing even higher another 60 feet in the air which will literally push poison into the largest aquifer sup, uh, supplying water to the majority of northern Newcastle County. Guess how many letters we got sent for that? <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's going to be worse. About 40. I knew it was going to be worse. <laughs> I could tell. So here we have, right, we already have clean water issues. So we can get 140 on that because people it's real to people, right? Yeah. At least 140 people anyway. But we're trying to prevent people from having poisoned water for generations, right? And primarily low-income communities first. And still, we're having a hard time getting people to, to be proactive on that kind of a substantive issue as basic drinking water. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's discouraging. It's how do we, it is, just, it can be very discouraging, but it's how can we engage the communities and how can we get out and make people care so I mean, we're working on you know the, the, you're you're in the know right now. We're working on it, you know, doing a demonstration. We're doing a press conference. We're going to these communities door by door, and getting them to understand what's happening. That it's not that what we're doing, what we're saying, is that it's okay for a private company to bring in out of state waste for profit to poison your water. That's what we're saying as a state. And making it under, making it very clear in no uncertain terms to these people that it's your water. Your water is the one that's going to be poisoned. I I mean, that's the kind of organizing work that needs to be done. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And again, un unfortunately, just like criminal justice um, environment, it's going to hit the elites last. Um, they're going to have. Yeah, the, they can put filtration systems. They yeah, can move to they're, Pennsylvania. They're going to have the means to uh, to do whatever needs to be done until the end. You know, until the, the, they'll be the last to be affected. So there's nobody really in, the, you know, nobody really of of any political power cares. So it's 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 people like you going out and explaining this in explicit terms to people and trying to organize people is the only way we're going to get out of this really because the again you know the chamber of commerce doesn't care no <laughs> the fucking lawyers that work that, 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 that bring home bags of money because the llc's don't they don't care because it doesn't they'll have it does not impact them so the only way you know to really change minds about this is, is to do exactly what you said. That's why we're here. So, you know, get the word out. Yeah, so we better get more than 40 letters. Called. Yeah, write letters. Just come on. I'll write as many as I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's there's big, uh, as I've mentioned before, changes afoot. So let me give you a little little rundown. I'm going to start expanding this with the help of the super producers, Carl and Margaret. Um, we're going to feature a little more uh, sort of news and information. This was a little bit of a start to that, so you can get you can get ready for like data and the stuff that I don't give you. You need to get from other sources. So it's sort of like uh, having bring more journalists in as well. Uh, we're also going to do some remote stuff. I got some fancy gear I just got up. I'm just hanging up there. There's one back there on top of the interface. It's a fancy fucking headphone amp. Look at that. So we're going to start doing some cool shit. So look, I'm hoping that, and I'm going to be talking to some people about uh, being executive producers. I'm going to talk to some people about uh, kicking in for this patronage because you got to support the team. Um, we're not making any money, but we'd like to keep this going because I think it's it's gonna it's gonna start uh, it's gonna start bearing fruit here uh, in a, in a month or two as these things start hitting the ground. So I uh, would love everybody to go to patreon.com backslash the Highlands Bunker. Look at our stuff. <coughs> Consider a patronage, even two bucks, five bucks. It's cool. Um, coming up here in about six weeks, we're gonna have a full redo of the page. I have a uh, I've commissioned some artwork just because 
I know a guy. Uh, so that should be cool. Uh, we're going to get our stuff, the whole catalog out for free on uh, SoundCloud at some point this summer so that in the fall it's really going to start to roll. Um, follow us on Twitter, at Highlands Bunker. It's actually getting pretty funny. Um, I try to re- retweet Carl at least once a week so you you get your fix in case you're not following him, but you should be at K Foster Stomberg. Now, are you on Twitter as well? I have I have a Twitter. I have never used it. Good call. Good 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 man. I have I've been influenced by Josh uh, to start using the Delaware United Twitter for legislative updates and all that sort of. I did stuff. see some stuff around when it was like running out of time. I was getting the. I even made a joke on one. I forget what it was. But yeah, I saw it was like, oh, Delaware United's getting hot right now. Yeah. On the 30th of June. Uh, yeah, so. F- well, and if you'd like to give to two Patreons, then. Oh, like yeah, to, you got uh, a Patreon. Self-promote. I compl- yeah, give us a plug. Yeah, I do I do have a Patreon. Um, I have it for my Delaware United work that I do. Um, and organizing for them. I actually just got a new job at the Delaware Sierra Club. Um, so I'm going to be working a lot on, on environmental issues, um, but I'm still doing the Delaware United stuff, so if people want to help support that effort. Um, but Delaware United is actually underway to uh, officially organize. Again, you're in the know right now. Um, and so I'm, I'd be more apt to plug that when that comes live that people donate to Delaware United and uh, help us do this door knocking and send these issues to the people's doorsteps. Yeah, word, that's great. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been another, uh, I think, informative night here in the bunker. I'm actually going to venture out here and take a look at some of the local uh, goings-on, keep an eye on everybody. Saw Mike Przicki to went to the football match at Rocco's. We had a nice little chat. I know somebody must be listening to this who knows that I got on his nerves again. It was fun. All right, everybody. Uh, Lula's closer to getting out. Uh, Sergio Moro's in the United States. If you see him, throw a uh, milkshake on him. Lula Livre left his best. Ciao.